This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Family is an awesome thing. It draws us closer together, and sometimes it drives us. That's right. You're all... Most of you have said crazy. No one. <laughs> all right, well, let's me know a temperature check of the room. So, a lot of you had some crazy family experiences recently. Uh, but family is just that. Uh, They're ours. They're the ones we get to be around all the time. But they're also the ones that help bring grandchildren and children to church to hear of Jesus, to learn of his promises. Uh, And sometimes those very same children are the ones who will tell a parent or grandparent at lunch, did you know this with love in their hearts? And it brings a parent back to peace and calm that they had lost. Brings them back to what they needed to hear and center because they got hung up on something else. Well, this morning we are continuing in Hebrews. We have over the last several weeks uh, looked at the start of Jesus in chapter 1. The reminder in the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is there at creation, that Jesus is for us so important. So we're asking the question, who is he? Uh, But not just who is Jesus, like, oh, Mary and Joseph's son, but who is he, meaning, is he different than you and me? How is it that Jesus gets to be the center of so many things in church? And the writer of Hebrews is trying to guide a people who in the first century, most Christians have a Jewish upbringing, most of them. Uh, We don't have the expansion of the Gentile church until a little bit later. It's happening at that time, I get it, but I mean, the large number of people come with a Jewish background. So the book of Hebrews helps to connect who is Jesus in light of this larger narrative that God's doing. So if you have your Bible, open up. We're going to go Hebrews chapter 6, and as we start there... uh, we resonate from last week. Now, some of you are like, I wasn't here last week. I know, don't worry. You'll get a synopsis real quick. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Last week in chapter 5, we heard this talk of... Well, how many of you like milk? Milk and Oreo cookies, anyone? So you can kind of connect here. Okay, a couple of milk and Oreo people. Chapter 5 is kind of saying, hey, milk's wonderful, uh, but at some point you need to start eating something more. It's time to eat some solid food. Uh, And this is being continued in chapter 6. Now, some of you already know this, but the chapters, recall, were not originally there. The writer of Hebrews did not say, and thus ends chapter 5. It's added for us later to help us have easy conversations like we're having this morning. So don't be shocked that chapter 5 really almost continues into chapter 6. There's nothing wrong with chapters and verses. I'm just sharing with you, uh, don't ever read the end of a chapter and go, well, that's the end of the chapter. No, they're letters, they're entire narratives. So this is a case where when chapter 6 begins, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, we are being invited to say, let's go past just the Sunday school answer of, who did this for you, children? And all the people say, Jesus. To realize, well, how did he do it? Why did he do it? When and where and what does that mean for me today? Moving past just Jesus, moving past the elementary doctrine and looking a little bit further than that. Now, an interesting thing in this verse, if you look to it, it says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and then end go on to maturity. So we're leaving behind the elementary and moving on to maturity. How many of you love grammar? Okay. More than, see, more than most of you thought. About a dozen people are all in grammar. How many of you are familiar with passive constructions in grammar? 
My school teachers hated me for this. I am like atrocious at always writing in passive voice. I mean, just terrible. They're like, could you please stop writing in passive voice? Now, what that means is you're passing along. If you're passive, you are, yeah, you're being a pushover. You're docile. You're just kind of sit there. Passive means you're not the active agent. So what's interesting in this is, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. The go on to maturity is actually in passive voice. Meaning your ability to go into maturity is actually someone else's work. It's not yours. See, this is a setup in Hebrews 6 to realize if you're going to grow and mature, someone else is going to help you mature. Now, we'll get to who that is, but some of you might already have an understanding of who's going to have to be a part of this maturity thing. Anyone willing to admit they still kind of act like an 18-year-old? 14-year-old? 12-year-old? The same adults keep their hands up. They're like, go as low as you need, buddy. I'm here all day. But this idea of maturing in Christ, we need someone else to help us and guide us as we go along. Now, the elementary teaching, if you have your, your Bible there, you can see it. It's actually a LinkedIn couplets. Uh, some of you who remember your, your poetry and others, you get three couplets, these uh, pairings of twos uh, in verse 1, 2, and 3, and you get this pairing. The first is the elementary teaching is a group that we're going to want to move past uh, repentance from dead works and faith toward God. So repentance from, meaning turning back from dead works, the idea that I can earn my way to God. Repenting of that, dead works that are getting nowhere, turning in faith toward God. The second pairing is washings. So ceremonial washings, cleansings, uh, and pairing that with the laying on of hands. So we've got these teachings of making sure we're turning from things that aren't gearing us, turning to faith in God that can help us, from washings and layings on of hands, understanding how God's using his people. The third set is resurrection and judgment. So we've got kind of these pairings. This is the elementary teaching. And then it moves. Now, why are these foundational? What makes these foundational? Uh, in looking for this, uh, one commentator on the text, a man by the name of Donald Guthrie, wrote this. And I found what he said so interesting. I hope it uh, enlivens you this morning as well. He wrote on this text of Hebrews 6, he said, quoting this, part of the problem facing Hebrews was the superficial similarity between the elementary tenets of Christianity and those of Judaism, which made it possible for Christian Jews to think they could hold on to both. Now, I can kind of put it in layman's terms as well, but hopefully you heard it. So one of the challenges is he's writing to his audience is you've got Christian Jews who grew up Jews and kind of going, well, some of the basics are all the same, so can't we just change nothing? Couldn't we just kind of be everything we were, but now have this like added bonus Jesus material, if you will. Well, now that we've got you, we don't have to change anything. We've just got Jesus now. But remember, Jesus isn't a Band-Aid. Jesus is what? <laughs> Jesus, say it again. He's a basis. That's right. See, you don't put him on top. He gets to be inside. He's a heart matter. He's not the bandage on top of your heart. He's the basis, and you've got to get down to that place. So if you want to get back to elementary, you have to get to the foundational pieces to make sure Jesus is at the core. Jesus isn't, oh, Jesus is the, the, the window dressing. No, he's not. He's a person inside the house, behind the window, who actually helped make the window, make the house, set it off, and then taught the person how to install the window itself. I mean, that's a very different view of what God is doing. So the danger that moves in this text that's hitting us this morning, uh, for the Jews, the danger is apostasy. Now, that's not a word that we use all that often. Uh, like We don't talk about people being apostate anymore. Now, history books will talk about it. If you are apostate, you are deviating from an accepted path uh, and norm. See, now we don't talk about apostasy because we just say whatever you want to do is whatever you want to do and go for it. If it makes you... 
How do you guys know that? So you live in the same world I do. We live in a world now where we don't talk about apostasy. We just say, oh, so, oh you like, okay, that, that's, that's great. If that's your truth, that's not the way the Scriptures talk. They talk about there being very clear uh, and defined ins and outs. And someone who is walking and deviating, uh, stepping into apostasy, the writer of Hebrews is writing those and saying, there are things about Jesus that will change you fundamentally to your core. And you need to make sure you understand them so that you don't get wrapped up in the stuff that sometimes uh, we get so excited about. You know, the, ooh, look at that, it's shiny. Ooh, that sparkles. So continue with me in verse 3, 4, 5, and 6 of Hebrews 6. So we get kind of a bigger section, and we're moving ahead. So we had our, our couplings uh, there in verse 1, 2, and 3, that we were moving on to maturity. Again, passive voice, moving to maturity. Someone else is going to help you get there. I told you we'd get the answer. Here it is. It's verse 3. Who's this passive actor who's going to help me mature? And this we will do, we all say it together, if God permits. God's the one helping to guide and direct this whole process. So if you want God to be part of your process, where are some places you should probably be in life? (laughs) Where God is with his people in Scripture, at the font, at the table, the places God promises to be. So the person who has never been into church, who has never been baptized, has never learned about the Lord's Supper and goes, I don't feel God's presence, I'd say, well, are you where God promised to be? Well, I I just don't feel him. I, I know, but I'm just letting you know God says there are guaranteed places he'll be. Again, could God work anywhere? All God's people said? You bet. But when God promises to be in certain places and we don't go there, don't be surprised when you feel left out. God's not trying to say no to you. He's just saying, I promise to be here, and for whatever reason, you want to be over... Well, just if I could walk further, I would for illustration. I just want to be, I want to be where I want to be because I want to do it... Mm-hmm. I did it. Yeah, see, a couple of you, yeah, a couple holdouts. That's right. Some of you couldn't resist it. So I wonder, like those little snippets, a couple of you are like, I have to, I have to break into song. <laughs> see, a lot of my illustrations don't work that way. You all look at me blankly like, we don't know that one. So, I, so like six failures, I got one that hit. We continue, verse 3 through 6. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have been once enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore themselves again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Now, what started out as this wonderful, like, hey, connection to verse 1 got real heavy real fast. What you have unpacking here in 3, 4, 5, and 6 is people who would say, I've experienced God's full glory. I get it. I am redeemed in Christ. Christ has washed me. And now I got to do stuff so I can make sure that God loves me. Because that's how I'm going to keep God happy. I've got to appease God. And if I don't appease him, then he's going to look at me poorly. This is in that latter portion of those verses. And then they have fallen away to restore themselves again. Since they are crucifying once again... What does it mean by crucifying it? That they believe you have to keep sacrificing to keep God happy, as if Jesus needs to die multiple times. Now, this may seem foreign to you, but it's not real foreign, actually, uh, to the way modern Christians are actually thinking and speaking and modern Christian writing. There's a lot of you got to do. There's a lot of it. You got to do stuff. And now that you're here, now you're in the church, we got to do, because if we don't, then we're going to fail. 
Or even better, you failed. Sorry, person, that that went. I just figured the finger pointing was better, so generic finger point. <laughs> Truth is we can point at all of ourselves because we fall in this trap. We fall in the trap that we've got to do, which is what makes this passage very, very challenging. Because you've got here in verse 4, 5, and 6, be cautious to repent, repentance from dead works. Remember, that was one of our couplets. Now you've got this warning, don't keep crucifying Christ. He already died. And if Christ already died and he's sufficient, then you have his grace when? And? Yeah, I'm with you on always, but I also want to make sure we realize that it's now as well. And the reason I say that we're, we're odd as humans. Sometimes you hear always, always sometimes is not tangible. Because always may just be, well, you know, my parents said they loved me always, and then my, my mom passed away. Like my dad said they loved me, but then he passed away. And I'm not saying that your parents didn't love you, but sometimes always is so long you can't see it. You know, the idea of, well, when you save up enough money, then you'll retire. See, now you're like, oh, okay, I get it, yeah, yeah, because that's never going to happen, but it will always be out there. <laughs> yeah, see, it's always. So I'm just sharing, make sure, don't make God, he is always. There's nothing wrong with saying that, but you need to understand not only is he always, he's also for you speaking 10.03 right now. 10.03 a.m., right here, 1441 Beaver Creek Commons Drive. He is speaking to you through his word. That's what we're doing in Hebrews 6. We're letting God speak to us. But the text gets more interesting uh, as we move forward. This idea of fallen away, so those who have fallen away, it talks about complete and utter rejection. So this fallen away isn't a person who is just, hey, I'm going to church, and then I skipped four Sundays. I skipped six months. I mean, this is outright open. Get ready for the word. I already used it once. This is apostasy. This is I've fallen away, and now I completely reject and rebuke everything God ever did. See, for most of you, this is, this is not you. You may have stumbled, but you may use the word fallen away. See, this is where the English kind of betrays you coming from the Greek, because the fallen away here is you are outright now opposed to everything God has done. Anything you saw, you are now against it. But remember how simple it was to be against God. You can be against God if you think you need to make sure that you're still offering a sacrifice. Because see, the moment you say you have to keep doing things, you've just told Jesus, that was neat what you did there on the cross. But I've got to do it. I've got to do it better. I've got to do it my way. I've got to do it again. I've got to make sure uh, to go there. I mean, you want to talk about one of the crazy differences uh, that sometimes we don't talk about. Uh, the entire Roman Catholic Church still believes that the Mass is a sacrifice. And they actually believe that the Mass is a sacrifice, that you are offering again something to atone. I trust, I have lots of friends in that church body. I do. There's lots of great people. But you've got to understand these foundational things, they are important. There is nothing that Mike Merker, your pastor, is doing here that is any more effective than what Christ has already completed. But may I just be a vessel that you hear the completed work of Christ and his ongoing work in your life today. And we'll get to that because Hebrews is going to guard us uh, from just stopping where we are. But I told you it was going to get a little bit harder this morning because six kind of leaves us in a place where you could almost stop a sermon here and say, okay, great. So we're built up, Christ has us, but it takes us through to 12. Look at verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. And this is where we're headed. So as we look this morning, we're talking about better things. So yes, we've had this elementary teaching, but the focus here in 9 that's going to move us to 10, 11, and 12 is there's better stuff coming. And the better things are things of salvation. 
That is the better stuff. So it's not just Jesus' teacher. It's not just Jesus' person walking with you. It's Jesus pointing you to salvation, which is better. And you need to know the salvation part because salvation is the piece that actually draws us together. That's what brings joy on my face. I know God's got me to the end, starting with, it just changed, 10.06. <laughs> See, it's advancing, but he's with me every minute of every day, uh, and he is watching me. But I told you it was going to get harder because some of you have looked ahead because you've got your Bible or your app with you, and you're looking at verse 10, 11, and 12, and you're going, is pastor going to avoid them, or is he going to address them? Well, let me read them first, and rather than display them, we'll get there, but I just want to read it so you can see where we're headed. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises." See, the challenge of 10, 11, and 12 is we went from saying repentance from dead works, but verse 10, 11, and 12 say, guess what? In Christ, you've got, you've got work to do. Now, the Lutheran tradition does this anytime the word work is said. You ready for it? You guys know this. Beep, 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 beep. Look out, look out, look out. Worry, worry, worry. Report pastor to seminary. Report to district president. He said work. It's a natural thing, and it's because the foundation of the Lutheran church is born out of it's not something we do, it is God's grace that brings us to salvation. Now, understand this, that brings us to salvation. We are saved when? Now. Yeah, check my watch. Still true. Still now. Now, there's an interesting thing. How many of you have breathed a breath since you were actually brought into God's family through Christ's grace. Anyone breathe a breath since that moment in your life? A couple holdouts. If a person's not raising their hand, tap them. Make sure they're, they're here because <laughs> they should still be breathing. This is, this is a check-in. Like Someone's like, oh, he woke me up. No, we want to make sure you're alive. We were checking. This was just making sure you're alive. But as we move in, yes, we are saved, but God actually cares about what happens in my life moving forward. Pastor Luther, when he wrote the small catechism, as everyone got all excited about, yay, let's topple the powers that be. Because, I mean, whether or not you understand how elections go normally in elections, everyone says the same thing, right? Topple the powers that be. Like, we all try this every two years, right? The conversation's the same. Topple the powers that be. Did they fix it all two years ago? Do you think they're going to fix it all two years from now? But four years, they'll get it, Right? And again, I'm not opposed. Please, I mean, go to the polls. This is wonderful. We live in a democracy. I hope you all do. But just remember, the bigger narrative for us uh, is that there's still stuff for us to do. God actually cares about your today. So when Luther writes a small catechism, he has this great question. What does this, what's it mean? So what does verse 10, 11, and 12 mean? Well, we have to unpack one of those great verses uh, of the Reformation, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not by your doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. See, we're all tracking. It's not works. So that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. But then verse 10 comes along, and it says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God actually cares about what you do today. Not for you to earn salvation. Christ did that, and it's completed. 
but God actually cares about how you live. So at some point as Lutherans, we've got to embrace this tension and stop saying we can't talk about works and realize I'm not saying works for you to get to salvation. Christ did that. That's done and completed. That's Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, 2, and 3. Remember? Repentance from dead works. Dead works are works that happen outside of Christ. But a work you do in Christ is beautiful. That's where when we hit then 10, 11, and 12, you see the change. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. So you've got God actually, you've got a double negative. This is one of those interesting, you see at the beginning, for God is not unjust. God, God, that means God's what? He actually watches what you do. Pastors are notorious for doing what? God sees you behind the closed door. He knows what you're doing. Yeah, the sermonator, thanks. Nice. I should use that sermonator. Wow. You guys are wonderful. You're equipping me with great stuff. Uh, but we're, I mean, this is where pastors always go. But what's unique is pastors don't always go the other direction that Hebrews is speaking to here. God loves watching what you do in response to what he's done for you. God actually is watching that and gets excited. God loves a cheerful giver. Actually, loves someone cheerfully doing that. He doesn't like givers who are, give more. Just, that's not what God wants. It's this joyous response. But there is a response. If we're going to every single week never move people to realize that God cares about what you're going to do at 2 o'clock this afternoon, then we're missing out. See, many of you have been here many Sundays. Some of you are guests. I get it. It's your first time. My hope is that you have a, a general understanding of Christ's sacrifice for you on the cross. But as you see that, Christ cares about your Monday as well. And that there's some stuff that's going to move forward in your life. The text continues. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. This is where it gets fun. These better things. Remember we said verse 9, better things? Don't just get excited about these good works, which is where we get hung up. This is why Lutherans don't like it, because you're like, I'm still on the edge, Pastor. I'm not liking your conclusion, because you've still been a little too strong on works. Well, then watch 11 and 12. And we desire each of you, each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Are you as certain of your salvation at this moment right now as you were when you first came to faith? Are you as excited about salvation now as you were then? See, if you're getting excited about now I get to go out and do these works in Christ's name, that's great, but you better make sure at the exact same desire and the same earnestness you also in doing those things are saying what? Christ did it all for me. It's done. He died, he rose, he ascended to the Father. It's all done. These are the better things that talk about salvation. We have to keep that. As we think of works, you've got to have the same certainty, the same earnestness, so that, get ready, conclusion, verse 12, so that, so that you may not be... I love these seats in this theater. If we ever move out, it's going to be so terrible. I have no idea how much one of these costs, but I really hope we have it in the budget. <laughs> so you may not be sluggish. <laughs> do you see how quickly you can move from like, hey, we're going to have a church and do more and do others and quickly turn it to being sluggish? You're like, but I just need my seat. What? Really? Like, some of you are like, no, really. 
Wait, wait till you see what we bring up next week. We will add to the budget. We're all taking a seat with us. The theater will never notice. <laughs> so that we may not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You see, for those who follow in these works that God's prepared beforehand, Ephesians 2.10, uh, Hebrews 6.12, they do it through faith. God's giving this to you so that you might remain focused on the better things, the things belonging to salvation because God cares about your today and he's already prepared for your tomorrow. May you never lose sight of Christ's completed action in your life so that you might walk forward with your head high on this day, awaiting the better things of Christ that are still yet to come. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.